0: Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.
1: This is Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. For the past few weeks, we've been exploring what Florida's rapid growth means to the greater Tampa Bay region. In our changing state, we've been asking how this change has been affecting you and your neighbors. So far we've discussed housing, the environment and transportation, and now we're turning to Florida's cultural history, how we see ourselves, and how the rest of the world sees us, and how that's changing. Community members said they like the diversity and the infusion of new cultures, old and new, and how the natural environment is an integral part of our identity. And we heard your concerns about the recent culture wars and how it and the impact of rapid change on Florida's different communities could be creating new tensions. We'll put those questions and concerns to our expert panel later in the show. First, though, we visit Tampa's historic Ybor City neighborhood. WUSF's Denora Prevost met with Ormond Derrick outside a coffee shop on bustling East 7th Avenue, the thoroughfare lined with the area's iconic archway lights. They talked about Derek's childhood in Ybor City, a move to rural Pasco County, and how the 25-year-old has seen
2: both neighborhoods change. So just tell me about what it was like to to grow up here. Um, Growing up here, it was different. Different's probably the best word to describe it. And you could say that for about a lot of places in Florida, but Tampa's kind of a special spot that we have. We're, you know, 20 minutes from St. Pete. We have the huge Cuban influences, the German influences, Spanish, Irish influences. Every immigrant really has passed through and come to Ybor and made it what it is. But what made it so special was just the sense of community and the sense of kind of just acceptance that was here, um, regardless of who you were. Because it's the immigrant district. It's where everyone came to find a new home. And that really transcended generations, even from the, you know, the original generations that first migrated here. Um, you know, the Cuban immigrants in the late 1890s, early 1900s, from the first wave of Cuban migration up until now, and people coming here. I lived here well when I was born in 1998 until about 2010, I believe is when my family moved. We moved out to Dade City because after the housing uh, crisis in 2008, we unfortunately are some of the victims of that and were saddled with mortgages we couldn't afford. Long story short, we moved out also because of just kind of the the neighborhood and the crime and things like that, we wanted to get to more of a safer place because Board City wasn't always like the fun, party, you know, nice place that it is now. It was always a great neighborhood, always a nice place, but it was a little bit rough around the edges. But even after we moved, my family still, the rest of my family still remained here. So you know, I would spend every weekend here with my abuelita at her house up the street. Um, I would come visit my tias or I would go visit my bisabuelita, my great grandmother who lived in Gibsonton. So like from here, 15 minutes away. It was kind of hard, you know, my parents, my family always had a car, so we were able to move around pretty frequently, but as a kid, you know, you could only go so far. You could only take the bus so far because it really didn't go many places. But I mean, even growing up then, it was kind of a different sense of community, not so much different in the the whole idea, but it was just, um, you know, different people, different vibes. I grew up kind of on the era of Hillsboro, Nebraska. So um, out there, you know, we would always go to the SWAT meet, the old Joyland Drive-In Theater. We would go there. Um, the old Publix on Nebraska Avenue, like one of the original Publixes, that was our, like, family grocery store we'd always go to. And then the Nebraska Mini Mart, which is now some restaurant, I think, still called the Nebraska Mini Mart. It actually used to just be a Mini Mart. And there's, um, I can't f- remember his name, but a really nice um, old, you know, immigrant guy who ran the shop and would always give me and my sister lollipops when me and my dad uh, would go get like you know a gallon of milk or just some eggs or anything we might need from like the corner store yeah. down there but it was just a sense of community you know a community that exists here in Ybor but um, you know in a different sense as all of Tampa does we all looked out for each other. Do you feel like that sense of community is still here in, the, in over 10 years 10 since you moved away? Yeah, um, I think it still is here, and I still come back to Ebor all the time. My family's still here, so I've I'm here all the time. Um, and I think there'll always be the sense of community in Ebor, but I feel it's definitely been changing a lot with gentrification, all the housing develops developments, and you can even see it on the streets of Ebor. Like one thing I've noticed personally, as growing up as a kid, is there seems to be a lot more homeless people lately, just on the streets. I think about it as they just have nowhere else to go. Do you miss, like, the Dade City area at all? Yeah, I do. I still have friends. One of my best friends, actually, I met in high school. Their family still lives out there, and my mom still lives out there. Um, so I go out there pretty frequently, and it's nice to get away. It's nice, kind of that small-town vibe. But even then, like, it's crazy to see so much of Florida is changing, and even Dade City is. Like, I, I didn't realize how many people... Are moving to Dade City if you look around just how much even the roads are changing like it used to be a little two-lane highway and, and now it's you know, turning into four six you know plus lanes of just giant subdivisions and all the forest and the 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 natural landscape is being torn down to build all these houses and and, and it's really crazy to see because when I moved to Date City no one knew about it. it was still you know this little small country, old Florida town, and so much of it is changing. Honestly, it's a little bit scary, and I it makes me kind of sad. Um, I welcome the change, because if you've known anything about Florida, if you're a native-born Floridian, or you have become a Floridian just by moving here and embracing what Florida is, you know, Florida has changed. That's the only thing constant about Florida's change, whether a hurricane is coming to chase us down and wipe us out, or if it's, you know, another subdivision popping up down you. But what makes me the most scared and most sad about it all is that I feel like we're losing a big piece of Florida. And I don't necessarily mean that as the people, but a little bit of that, but more so just like the natural landscape, you know, Florida. Uh, you can see it around it's just urban sprawl central and it's really just degrading the natural environment and the natural wonders and the natural beauty that's florida and i welcome people come to florida my favorite thing is my bringing my friends from out of state from out of the country that just see Florida through the news and the wild lens of the place I live and showing them the real Florida and how it is to be here and opening their eyes to that and I want everyone to have that experience and live in this beautiful wonderful place or at least visit and you know be have that experience but the way that we're being built that or the way that it's being built and the way that it's being done is just so unsustainable and just not not good for Florida not good for the people not good for the environment not good for anyone except maybe land developers and also the people as well, you know, I feel very strongly. Again, I, I, I love the people coming to Florida. I want them to come to Florida. You know, I just want them to respect it and understand that, you know, this is a place that people lived before them. And a lot of people that want to live here that are from here can't live here anymore. That was Oman
1: Derek talking with WUSF's Denora Prevost in Tampa's Ybor City. You're listening to Florida Matters. We're exploring how Florida is changing rapidly and what that means for the people who live here in a series we're calling Our Changing State. After the break, we'll talk about Florida's cultural history with our expert panel. Welcome back to Florida Matters. I'm Matthew Petty. We're continuing our deep dive into the effects of rapid population growth in the Tampa Bay region and across the state, In this episode of Our Changing State, we're exploring the evolution of Florida's cultural history. From our reporting over the past several months, a few things are clear. People who call Florida home have a passion for this state, and the expressions of culture are a lot more nuanced than the headlines might have you believe. There's also a noticeable anxiety about what these recent changes mean for Florida's culture, and an identity that's rooted in things like the natural environment. So let's put the comments and questions you submitted on culture to our expert panel. Well, William Gravely is a long-time St. Petersburg resident and business owner. William, thank you so much for joining us.
3: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Also joined by Dr. Sarah McNamara. She is an assistant professor of history at Texas A&M University and the author of Ybor City Crucible of the Latina South, which was just published this year. Dr. McNamara, thank you so much.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: And Joanna Robotham is the curator of modern and contemporary art at the Tampa Museum of Art. Joanna, thank you as well.
0: Thank you so much. Pleasure.
1: So many of the people we talked to in the community in Tampa Bay in our reporting for this series, comments and questions we got from our listeners, they had things to say about the influx of new people to the state. I want to first play a little bit of tape from a conversation I had recently with the University of South Florida Professor of History Emeritus Gary Mormino. He spoke via Zoom about the impact of population growth on culture. Let's take a listen. I think in
5: 1940, 1940- there was something like an 8 million population gap between New York and Florida. Florida was the smallest state in the American South on the eve of World War II, it's smaller than Arkansas. You think historians are having this discussion in Arkansas today about growth problems and cultural problems? Uh, perhaps uh, it is a national phenomenon today. But so, one so is just the sheer population pressures of places that didn't even exist 40 years ago. Port St. Lucie, Cape Coral. So let me
1: put this question to you. When you think about Florida's culture, what do you think of? Joanna, what what goes through your mind when you think about Florida's culture?
0: You know, I consider myself still a relative newcomer to the state. I moved here from New York City about uh, seven and a half years ago. And so I've been really privy to see these changes, um, in particular in the arts and culture sector. And Florida culture is... Gosh, that is a really difficult question, but from what I've been able to observe, I think Florida culture is incredibly vibrant, it is complicated, and it is something that I think is completely under the radar. So art that has been made in the state, artists, art that is produced, the artists that come from the state, I think have been largely perhaps not as acknowledged as widely as other artists, even in the South. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly um, any time you go outside of a major art center, I think people seem to think that the arts don't thrive. But I think that we have been able to show that the arts do thrive here in Florida.
1: Did you know that before you moved here, or did that catch you a little bit by surprise?
0: It caught me a bit by surprise. I mean, Miami has already had a little bit of a growing legacy. Sure. Given all of the art fairs that happened in December and the rise of you know, the galleries there, the various museums, But I think over the past three years or so, I want to say, since the pandemic onward, we've really had, I think, surprising changes within the uh, landscape of art and culture Mm -hmm. in in the state.
1: Sarah, what about you? What do you think about when you think about Florida culture?
4: When I think about Florida culture, I imagine the difference between what people imagine Florida to be and the reality of what it is. So I'm a historian, and I think historically about these things, and I am struck frequently by how people think about the state, right? We imagine it in many ways as the South's playground, right? It's a place where you go to the beach. It's a place where you can go have natural vacations, right? The natural component of what Florida is, it becomes this tourist destination, right? A place where you can go to Disney World. But the way that I write about Florida is very much asking us to ground ourselves in the history of the state, the way that Gary was alluding to it in the soundbite you played, Mm -hmm. and what that means about how the state is constructed. So Florida, in and of itself, it's important to remember that it is a southern state. It was a state that was built by the labor of enslaved people. It did have a long history of Jim Crow um, established racial division. And upon those things, it creates an environment where Florida's incredibly diverse population has to figure out where it fits within this. Florida, very often, right, the Florida that is sold is a Florida that doesn't involve those complications. But we imagine Florida as this just like tropical paradise, but the reality is that it's much more complex. Mm. So when we look at things that are happening today, especially in the political landscape or within the cultural landscape, what we're really seeing is the Florida that has long existed that is in conflict with the Florida that people imagine. Thinking about Florida in that sense of complexity is something that is there and is here and imagining that is important.
1: Mm-hmm. William. What's your take on Florida culture? What do, you, what do you think about when you think about Florida culture? How is that changing, as far as you can tell?
3: Florida culture is very um, diverse in terms of culture, socioeconomic status. All of the things that um, Dr. Mac- McNamara just uh, just alluded to uh, are very, very true, uh, and there's still a big socioeconomic divide, and I'm witnessing it uh, for myself in St. Petersburg in terms of the um, gentrification of our neighborhoods, all of the poor and homeless people have been pushed out of downtown because of all the high rises. There's been little or no uh, infrastructure or any kind kind of thing to help those who are struggling. People are being totally priced out of anywhere to live. Now on the other side, I think that Florida is a a wonderful, diverse society that has much to offer um, anyone who comes. But it is it's much harder for people who are starting from the bottom um, to ever get off the bottom Mm -hmm. because there's there's really there's there's no help for them.
1: Let me read a comment from one of our listeners, Sharon Henry in Tampa. She had this to say about culture. Tampa has a vibrant culture with many different groups, LGBTQ, Hispanics, the elderly. Ybor City is a treasure. I feel that as more people come to the state, we are becoming more homogenized. I lived in St. Pete for 20 years before moving to Tampa in 2009. And I see this happening in St. Pete. Uh, Sarah, I wonder if we could just talk a little bit about the ethnic breakdown of the region, and just some numbers for context. There are about 3.2 million people living in the Tampa, St. Petersburg, Clearwater Metro, another two million or so in surrounding counties. And in the six largest counties, the Hispanic population ranges from 10 to 31%, while the black population ranges from eight to 19%. So that's kind of a snapshot of where we are in this part of Florida. But when you think about that idea of homogeneity and, and things becoming kind of more homogenous, what do you think? Is that is that is there some truth in that?
4: I would, I would push against the idea of homogeneity in general. Um, all of the different groups of people who the listener noted, they exist within their own communities and also the different categories right that she provided intersect in different and exciting ways it's so keeping in mind when we say homogeneity it's as though we are pushing towards some um whitewashing of what a past has been or imagining that everybody is like ourselves But the way that William was just talking about communities in St. Petersburg, understanding that among these millions of people, right, who are living in the area, that everybody has distinct experiences, be that due to their race, due to their sexuality, due to their nationality, due to their nation of origin, due to their class, right, all of these different things, and none of them exist in isolation. As a historian, right, in a word that has made its way in and out of the press in different ways, right, would be intersectionality is a way mm-hmm. to understand this. Right. So I would ask the listener to look around where she lives and to think if I walk outside of this neighborhood, what does this look like? And of course, right, I'll constantly talk about Ybor City. I could do it all day long. But one of the interesting things about Ebor City is that it kind of falls into this. There's the Ebor that people can imagine that it was, right? This place where you can go to the Columbia restaurant or you can go to the new Italian restaurant, Santo Stefano, that's down there. Hmm. But if you walk outside of 7th Avenue, Ybor City is at its heart a black community now, right? It is one of the areas where there is affordable housing, but it is also a place that was once a Latinx community. And that shift wasn't a comfortable thing that happened. And still there is much resistance over... Whose legacy owns this area and what does memory look like? So I wouldn't say that we are in any way homogenizing. I think looking at Florida, looking at demographics as they are, Florida is one of the most ethnically and nationally and racially diverse states in the U.S. South. That's something that makes it different than other states in the southern region, especially where there is a majority right, white or mm-hmm. black population with a smaller Asian subset or where there has been a recent Latinx increase. When Gary mentioned places like Alabama and Arkansas, they are in this area called new destination states, and mm-hmm. that means that there are states that have in- experienced a 2%, 200% increase in the Latinx population between 2000 and 2010 alone. So those states are experiencing differences, but Florida has long had this diversity. And I would push against the idea of homogeneity and ask the listener, you know, to go in different areas and walk outside of what feels most comfortable to them. So
1: essentially get outside your neighborhood and take a Exactly, it. exactly.
4: Mm-hmm. People know what's around them, mm-hmm. right? The idea that everybody in Florida has a pool or that, <laughs> that there's certain experiences that everybody has, that's based on where you live and who you know.
1: Here's a comment from Catherine in Lakeland, who writes, The beauty of Florida historically has been the infusion of new cultures added to the old. With the deluge of COVID relocators, they have no interest in assimilating or learning about Florida culture, history, and environment. They simply moved here to avoid public health recommendations of their previous home and to worship an extreme politician. I wanted to also just play another soundbite from Gary Mormino, who had this observation about culture in Florida. Let's take a quick listen.
5: Culture is political in Florida be it relationship with Cuba, slave heritage, homelessness, uh, et cetera. I mean, you just go on. Florida is kind of a touchstone to America today. Every issue that's a hot issue in America either begins in Florida or it's defined in Florida. Immigration has been an issue for, for decades and decades. Now it's global warming is is an issue. The relationship between Florida and the sea. And, and you can just go on and on uh, and, and Florida is a major player.
1: William, when you think about the Florida that you knew growing up and then compare that to what we are now what do you what do you think? and I wonder if you sort of see an increase in people being uh, judgmental or, or less accepting like how do you think that culture has changed?
3: Having lived here for most of my life, I see and feel the changes in the temperature the 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 just just how. So many things have, have changed. We had a real real harsh winter one time, and most of the guava trees died. And then we had canker come through, and they had to eradicate most of the uh, citrus trees. Everybody had citrus trees, whether it was kumquats or mm-hmm. grapefruits or whatever. But they had to come through, and they got rid of all those over time. All of these things have changed. And now with the with the increase of the population and all of these people moving from other places who think – that $1,800 a month for a studio apartment is a bargain, that's a problem when most people here still let make less than $20 an hour. Mm-hmm. You know, we've just getting, like I had a conversation with my nephew and and one of his friends the other day. They so, said, yeah, we're making more money, but it costs so much more to live. We're still just breaking even. So, oh, so yeah.
1: you're kind of saying that the, the bigger things are, Less maybe about culture and more about the practical challenges that we face. The
3: economic challenges, yes, and then also, I mean, when we talk about culture, I think particularly because we're in a, in a present state of so many culture wars being fought, I'm kind of with Dr. McNamara. If people would come out of their four walls and get to know some people, and and I just see Florida as, on one hand, we're 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 diverse and people don't know how to get along. But on the other hand, I think if we start taking more attitude to be nice and be courteous and be kind and to get to know other people, mm. it will
1: be, you know, so much better. Sarah, I wanted to come back to Gary Mormino's point about culture being political. What, what's your take on that?
4: I 100% agree with Gary. Um, what he is saying is that over the course of a period of time, right, there are political shifts that define and influence how we see the world around us. What William is reacting to, right, and what he's saying is that there are these very real changes that they do intersect with issues of economic inequality, that they do intersect with environmentalism. They do intersect with cultural and political change. They do intersect with the increasing with the increasing visibility of what difference means, right? Be it from sexuality or different forms of identifying racially or ethnically or nationally. But the more divergent, right, that things become, there is a subset of the population that will align with the, the rhetoric that we oftentimes hear is as though there was a time when everything was easy for everyone or when everything was really simple. And the people for whom something was simple, there's generally a large portion of the population for whom it was not simple. Right. So the laws, the emergence of things like culture wars or denying COVID or pushing against public health, right? There are certain people for whom that is beneficial. And then there is a broad majority for whom it is not. The difference is it's how it's able to be politicized and how it is able to bifurcate a population. So if we're looking at Florida right now, the difficult thing is that there can be a broad swath of people who are like, you know, I agree with this, but I don't agree with that, where it isn't necessarily as simple. But the large impact of things that are structural, like a census, which is a year when the state gets to redefine its districts, right, or what it means when um, when we're reelecting congresspeople or senators at the local level, right, this is where a lot of that change happens. Mm-hmm. So many of the shifts that occur or the environment that we see right now, it will take meaningful collective mobilization to undo because many things have been done legally and they have been done structurally. And those are shifts that we have to come to terms with and figure out where does community say, right, this isn't necessarily who we are, right? This is a who a certain subsect is Mm -hmm. and how to make that operate.
1: Joanna, uh, let me ask you, I mean... What do you think is possible? How are you going to see uh, the Florida that you that you love, kind of embodied in the in the culture we take forward from here?
0: You know, the thing that I try to share with my colleagues up in the Northeast all the time. I'll give you a, an example of what recently happened. Um, for example, those of us in the art world have followed what happened at the Orlando Museum of Art with the um, Basquiat exhibition, mm. the Jean Michel Basquiat exhibition, where you know the director of the museum really truly believed that those were authentic Basquiat's, and it turned out that they were fraudulent um, paintings. And of course, everybody in the art world was like, oh, of course this happened in Florida. This is typical of what you would see, you know, Florida man. And the thing that I always try to explain to people is that this is one small instance of Something you know going awry at a museum. It, it was bad. It was very bad. But don't let that stain what you think of what the arts and what culture is in Florida. There is so much more to Florida than just say beautiful. You know, utopian landscapes. That the arts here are complex. The arts here are complex. The artists at work here are incredibly smart and talented, and their work is worthy of national, international attention.
1: And Sarah, how how do you see the, the culture evolving? How do you see some of these constants coming through, and how do you see the the kind of Florida that you love carrying us forward from here?
4: I will say I do love Florida. There is that component of the work that I do, and wanting Florida to be the best version of itself that it can be. And doing that means all of us having a moment where we sit down and we reckon with the current moment that we're in and think how do we get to the place where when you're walking down the street, right, and you're in the midst of June, where there are ample pride parades, right? That is a part of the community where there are, you know, drag shows are a part of the landscape of Florida and long have been a place where that is, where black communities can access affordable housing the way that William's talking about. All of that has a place here, but it just means thinking about Florida in a way that Joanna's talking about beyond the headlines, Mm. that Florida isn't the essence of a punchline necessarily necessarily. The way that I write about Florida and that I ask people to think about it is to look at it more as a microcosm of the way that the broader United States can operate. Mm. So when there is an increasingly diversifying population, when the population is expanding, there are moments when people look for simplicity and getting comfortable with the lack of singularity is something that Florida has to become a part of and all of the different experiences that people have talked about today, whether it is through reading, through visiting different spaces, through interacting with new people, right? those are all ways to get comfortable with a different kind of Florida, which is more just getting comfortable with people who are different from yourself.
1: We have been speaking with Dr. Sarah McNamara, Assistant Professor of History at Texas A&M University and author of Ybor City, Crucible of the Latina South. Uh, Sarah, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thanks for having me.
1: Also joining us today, William Gravely, longtime St. Petersburg resident and business owner and educator. William, thank you so much. Thank you for having me here. And Joanna Robotham, curator of modern and contemporary art at the Tampa Museum of Art. Joanna, thank you. Thank you. And that's Florida Matters for this week. Find more details about our Changing State series, including photos of the people we are meeting and visiting, on our website, wusfnews.org. Next week, we're diving into the economic changes and challenges facing the Tampa Bay region. Find us on Facebook and Twitter. Look for Florida Matters. Our producer and reporter for this episode is DeNora Prevost. We also received support for this week's episode from engineer Jackson Harp, digital editor Carl
5: and news director Mary Shedden. I'm Matthew Petty. Thanks for listening.